We're in the book of Ephesians this morning. Second chapter. I don't think you people realize how much joy it gives me to to work on these things every week and share from the with you. Second chapter. There are four words that I have um, always been, I mean, they've been important to me, and they've spoken to me, and those words are grace and faith and love and the cross, the cross. In Ephesians 2, Paul takes a look at the condition of mankind. The first three verses deal with that. Um, Probably the most difficult truth in the Bible for human beings to look at and understand what's being said there. So in verses 1 through 3 of the second chapter, tell us what we're like before Christ, before Christ comes into our life. And then in verses 4 and following are what we're like after Christ comes into our hearts and into our life. And the difference between and before we meet Jesus and begin to speak Jesus um, is not just one of degree. It's a complete transformation. It's not getting better. It's a complete transformation of our lives. It's not just an improvement, not just making progress. We're changed. We're transformed, Scripture says. We're moved from one realm into another realm, a different different realm. So here at the outset of this section is the revelation of a truth so difficult for us to understand, so difficult for us to grasp and believe that most people tone this down, uh, water it down, uh, but we don't like it. We don't want to believe it. We don't want to think that way. And here at the outset of this section is the revelation of a truth that's difficult to understand. And as a result, there's no uh, realistic outlook uh, on the hopelessness of our condition, of who we are and what what we've become uh, if we're out without Christ. Or the glory that we have because we're in Christ what this means to us, the position that we now have in Christ. But if if you want to have your heart set on fire by the things of God, listen carefully to these verses and see the immeasurable greatness of the power of Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to ask you to stand together for the reading of God's word. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's, uh, let's say that together, shall we? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God 
He endures forever. You may be seated. So that's Paul's great analysis of the problem that we have right there. Our problem, the world's problem, mankind's problem. And this is the difficulty which Jesus faces when he comes to a man or a woman or a child or whomever. Uh, and this is difficult for us to believe. And Paul says in verse 1, you're dead. You're dead in trespasses and sins. You're dead. There, there are two basic characteristics that he brings to us of death, which we immediately associate with dead people. Um, first is their utter impotence, their utter impotence and their powerlessness. Uh, Harold Vick was a uh, uh, funeral director over in the Mount Clemens area for years, and as a pastor, I've, I've been around uh, death all my life, and I knew all the funeral directors. I know the funeral directors here. That's what we pastors do. We know every, you know. We know the funeral directors, uh, and uh, they're, they're different people, and uh, I mean, we don't hang around a lot together uh, with, with them, and, uh, but we share in some very significant moments in people's lives. These are tender moments in people's lives. Harold was an old guy, gracious, white hair, that's Harold there, and I knew Harold for years and years and years, and uh, he and his wife lived at the funeral home on the second floor, and... Um, He's passed now. His daughter took over. I don't know uh, what's, what's happened there. I've been out of that area for a while. But I can remember Harold used to take people on tours uh, through the funeral home so they could see what they did and how they, they did that. And Nick down here at Lynch said to me last week when I was there for Percy's funeral, he said, you know, Thomas, if you want to take a tour of the funeral home, this is the last thing I want to do, actually. <laughs> and I said, oh, thanks, Nick. You know, some, I'll, I'll wander in here one day and we'll, we'll take a tour uh, but, uh, but he was being kind, but, but Harold took me around once and I really was kind of interesting because I really, you know, what do you do here and, and what happens with everything? So we came into a room where there was a body that was laying on a slab and, uh, Harold walked up to him and just, he pulled the sheet back and he said, uh, he looked at me and says, tell him about Jesus. Wow. Wow. Tell them about Jesus. And I never forgot that. I never forgot that. And the point from there is, is you begin to understand as a pastor that the, the funerals are for the living, not the dead. The funerals are for living people, not the dead. A funeral service was being held for a man who had just passed away, and at the end of the service, the pallbearers are carrying the casket, and they bumped into the wall quite sharply, pretty hard, and all of a sudden there was a faint groan that came inside the casket. So the casket was open, and they found out that the guy was still alive, and he was still breathing. He lived for another 10 years. He died, and a ceremony was held again. Same place, same funeral home, same chapel, same pallbearers carrying him out again, and as they were walking, the, the wife yells out, watch out for the walls. How dead is a person who's dead? Crazy dead. Crazy dead. How impossible it is to reach him or her. How difficult, how hopeless to respond to anything, to do anything about his or her condition. So that's the first condition of the dead. They're dead. It's simple, right? They're dead. 
they're dead. The second condition is corruption. And we see this a lot. We know this, this happens. The reason mortuaries exist for the first uh, anyway is that dead bodies tend to immediately deteriorate. They decay. They fall apart. They begin to stink. They begin to, to rot. And you remember the story of Lazarus with Martha after four days, you know. Jesus has come to the tomb and, and Martha says to Jesus, it's too late, he stinks. It's too late, he's already deteriorating. He's been dead for four days. So that's one of the marks of death. Impotence and Corruption. Corruption. You're dead. You're dead. Now the question comes, when we look at this passage of Scripture and others like it, why are they dead? Why are they dead? And Paul points to two conditions as reasons why he says that mankind without Christ is dead. And the first he uses is the word transgression or trespass. Trespass comes from a word which means to miss the mark, miss the mark, to misstep. Now, we saw that just this week with our president, misstep, and he, he, he fell. Um, I've fallen now twice in the last year off ladders, you know, uh, and so I know what it is to misstep. You know, I thought I was on the, 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 the last step down, and I, and I wasn't, and I took a spill. I have misstepped. And that misstep caused me to, to fall. I didn't mean to. I didn't intend to. I didn't want to. You know, even if I were to go down here, if I miss that step, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the, the bottom pretty quickly and Jason's going to grab me or, you know, and pull me up. Uh, I don't intend to. Not my intention, right? Not what I want to do. But the result ended up in a wrong. I fell. I fell. And this is what Paul says characterizes humanity. We miss the mark. We miss the mark. We start out with great ideals. We aim, but we miss the mark. That's the impotence of human life. No matter how hard we try, now how great our resolve, we miss the mark. We miss the mark. Something stops us. And that mark of death is present in humanity. But beyond that, there's our sin. There's missing the mark and there's outright sin that we have in our life. Times when we intentionally, deliberately do wrong, right? You know, sin is the violation of a truth that we know. We know that truth, but we, we don't do it. We don't want to do it. This is what characterizes the deterioration of life. Deterioration of humanity. Now, this is Paul's analysis from the scriptures here. And see how accurate it is when you set it against life. What's behind all of this? Now Paul talks about this too. Look down at verse 2 in your scriptures. What's behind this? And his answer there is threefold. He says there's three things that happen. The first is that this world follows the course of this world. He says you're following the course of this world. Our world has certain characteristics. And we are pressured to conform to the world. Haven't we all felt that? Haven't we all felt that? Just one area. Let me show it to you. Fashion. Just in fashion. Uh, we hardly dare to, uh, to be different with our fashion. When I was growing up, you never saw a hippie with a crew cut. Never saw a hippie with a crew cut. Wasn't part of their thing, you know? In the world of hippiedom, 
<laughs> they all had to wear long hair. And they did. They all had long hair. And you must conform to this if you're going to be a true hippie. You know. And if you try to break away from it, there's always pressure to conform. Now look at the things that we're experiencing today with Bud Light, with the Dodgers, with the, you, you must conform. You must all think alike. You must all, you know, this is the way, you all must think like this. There's this conformity to the things of the world. You must think in lockstep with everything else. And we see this today. And if you try to break away from it, there's always this pressure, this pressure to conform. Uh, everyone's got to think alike. And yet beyond this world, Paul says another thing. It's still in, in verse 2 here. Uh, Paul says there's something else that lies here, and that's a sinister being. And we don't like this. Sinister being. Um, look what he says there. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The evil one. Satan. The evil one. Paul takes us behind the curtain spiritual curtain. He tears the veil away from the, the curtain of the spiritual world now, and he lets us see behind the curtain, and he calls him the prince of the power of the air. Why do you think he says that? The prince of the power of the air. It's a metaphysical uh, reference to the fact that as the air pervades our environment and yet is invisible to us, so Satan, his angels, the invisible world, are invisible to us, yet they are affecting our minds, our hearts, and thoughts of humanity so that we act disobediently. Disobedient to what? Truth. Truth. The truth. There's an evil cabal at work in society which is constantly saying, when you see this truth, don't do it. Don't do it. And then Paul says the third thing, it's in verse 3, the result, he says, and so we were by nature children of wrath. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. Objects of wrath, like the rest of mankind, he says. By nature, don't miss those words. By nature, someone says wrath, wrath. Wrath? What are you talking about wrath for? We don't want to talk about wrath. You just say, are you serious? Are you serious? I know, I know the idea. I, I, somewhere in the Bible, there's something about wrath in the Bible. But if you want to be serious today, you've got to speak about God's love, his mercy, his justice. Don't talk about wrath. Don't talk about wrath. But Scripture says, by nature, it means we're born this way. We're born this way. Nothing we can do about it. I can't say it any clearer than what Scripture says here, right? Ultimately, education, legislation, a change of environment, all these remedies that we throw money at again and again and again, which are supposed to release us from these conditions, will rearrange the pattern of life, but will never change the basic problem of life. It's like that old statement, you know, rearranging the, the deck chairs on the Titanic. You can rearrange the chairs all you want, but you're going down. By nature, you are objects of wrath. 
That's what Scripture is saying here. And we struggle trying to correct this, but never succeed. And the world gets worse and worse and worse and worse. It isn't a matter of race. It isn't a matter of sex. It isn't a matter of women and men and and gender and whether we're born into a civilized, whether we're bi or queer or whatever. It's not a matter of that. The condition is still the same because we are all by nature. What can change this? What does scripture say here? We're dead. Can't change anything. We're dead in sin. Ephesians 2, 4. I love this. I love this throughout the whole Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. But, 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 if you want to see the value of your salvation, but God, but God, Ephesians 2, 4, let's look at it. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, by grace you've been saved, raised us up with him, and he seated us with him. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite writers, says those two words, in and of themselves, in a sense, contain the whole gospel. The whole gospel. Verse 1 through 3 tells us our condition, ending with your objects of wrath. But God, the whole gospel. Last week we were in Galatians 6, where Paul cuts through all the nonsense of of Christian minutiae, the arguments, the differences, the, the debates, and he says, here's what counts. All that you when you get done with everything and strip it all away, here's what counts. Have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Have you encountered the living God? Has he done his work of transforming your heart and your life, making you a new creation? That's what counts, he says. That's what counts. Now drop down, you're still in the second chapter, to verse 8. One of our favorite verses, I think. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it's a gift of God. Don't you like that? I like it. It's a gift of God. As your pastor over these years, Ephesians 2.8, um, I don't care about a lot of, lot of stuff that flies around. I don't, I, don't, I don't care about traditions so much. I don't care about denominations so much. I'm, I'm just a guy. I like to preach. I like to deal with my church and my people. And I want to deal this with this right here. This is what God has given to me. This is my stuff, you know. So all these other things that, that are flying around, I'm, I'm not, I, don't, I don't care so much. Here's what I care about. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And if you love Jesus, we're family. We're a family here at this church. Our unity is in Christ. What holds us together is the same God, the same God who changed you, who changed me, and he's at work in both of us, all of us, that's what counts. That's what counts. And it concerns me because we can have this temptation as God's people to get so sidetracked with all kinds of things about political issues and things that we're we're on different sides of the fence, or this moral agenda, or this spiritual movement, or tradition, or a social cause. Paul says, this is what counts. Remember what he said? What counts is a new creation. You know Jesus. What counts as a new creation? 
Um, God finds people. God finds people. He changes them. He resurrects them. Everything else is details. Everything else is details. What counts? Have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? I grew up in a home where my father uh, spent himself as a pastor bringing the gospel of, of, of Jesus Christ to his people. He had a consuming vision and passion. Uh, he preached the gospel. That was his passion. And there was a plaque on our, in our home. It was in the kitchen. We came down for breakfast uh, every day. We would see it, and you all know what it is. Only one life will soon be passed, right? Only what's done for Christ will last. And I saw that every day, every morning, every morning. Consistency. Consistency with who you are. And we were talking about this on Wednesday night a little bit. Consistency, the importance of consistency as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope over the years with my ministry, you've experienced whether it was 10 years ago or whatever and whatever, five years ago, that I was a person you viewed as consistent. That I was the same then as I am now, only deeper, hopefully. Deeper. Stronger in the Lord. Stronger in the Lord. What is that gospel? What is that gospel? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? We love that passage of scripture. But God. That's the gospel. But God. I, I want to take you for a minute to, and share something about the grace and the love of God, if I can, from scripture. Uh, this but God. It's in Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter. You don't need to turn to it. I'm just going to explain what's going to be happening here. Um, God comes to the nation of Israel God comes to the nation of Israel. Um, I put my mission statement up there. I gave that to you maybe about 11, 12 years ago that I mentioned that was my mission statement of my life. But uh, I don't think I've mentioned it since. But uh, I was thinking about my dad, you know, and, it, and I was thinking about you know, that passion that he has for Christ. Um, Deuteronomy, there's this, there's this passion that comes out. And I would, I would say to all of you, find out what you're passionate about about Christ and go after it. Go after your passion. What, what's driving you? What is Christ saying to you? How is the Lord leading you in your life? Um, here in Deuteronomy, God comes to Israel and says, Israel, I didn't love you because you were the greatest of nations. You remember the passage? You probably do. I didn't love you because you were the greatest of people. Because after all, he says, you, you, you were the least of the people on the earth. But I set my love on you, and therefore I redeemed you. I, did you hear that? I set my love on you, and I redeemed you. If you listen carefully there was a circularity to grace and the grace of God. You know what God is saying to Israel here? Israel, I don't love you because you were this or you were that or you were this or this. I loved you because what? I loved you because I loved you. 
That's, what's, that's a circular pattern here. Circularity. But it's a circularity that every heart in this room wants. We all want this. We all want to hear this from our God. Your wife says, uh, Tom, why do you love me? Why do you love me, honey? And you say, honey, I love you because you're, you know, you're good at euchre. You're a good cook. You're a great tennis partner. I love you because you're so pretty. You're the prettiest girl in the class. Honey, I love you because you never get down. You're always up. You're upbeat. You're positive. You're, you're always, you know, is that what Mary wants to hear? Is that what Mary wants to hear? Does that help her sleep? You know. Maybe she says, well, what, what happens if I get down? What happens if I get down? Am I not allowed to get down? What happens when I get wrinkled? What happens? What happens if I get sick? Say that to a spouse. The deepest part of your heart needs to hear the slurp, for lack of a better word, you see in an awful lot of love songs that are out there today. Dan Fogelberg, remember that song that he's, you know, right? The one that goes, longer than there have been fishes in the ocean, higher than any bird ever flew, longer than there's been stars up in the heavens, I've been in love with you. That's what they call purple prose. There's different prose. That's purple prose. Purple prose is a simple thing. Which it's elaborate. It's elaborate. It's over the top. But whatever the heart, whenever the heart wells up and starts to talk about that kind of purple prose, it starts to talk about, it has a kind of hyperbole. Longer than there have been stars up in the heavens, I've been in love with you. We need, we have to have love that says, I love you not because you're serviceable to me. I love you not because you're this or not because you're that. I love you simply because I love you. And I got up this morning because it's our anniversary. And she's sleeping. And I said to her, happy anniversary. She said, today? <laughs> I said, yeah. And I want you to know I love you. And I'll always love you. I will always love you. Love you to the moon. Not because of anything, but because I love you. I just love you. Christians alone can know that kind of love that your heart has to have. It's not a fantasy. It's a fact. It's a fact. Because Christians know there's somebody who literally said that to us. Biblically said that to us. Literally says, before the foundations of the world, 
Before the foundations of the stars, I set my love on you. I love you not because you're superior, not because, I, I love, not because you're serviceable. I love you not because you're moral because, and, or you never get down. I don't love you because any of that. Or you're humble. I love you because I love you. I love you because I love you. I put my love on you before you were. I put my love on you before the foundations of the world. And that's why a Christian, and only a Christian, can actually say, I don't just get a good feeling when I listen to music like that. I know somebody who actually did this. I know someone who actually did this. So the Christian can say, though the stars fall, though the stars fall from the heavens, his free grace to me will stand because he loves me. He loves me. And it's older than the stars, and therefore it will outlast this universe. You know what? Do you understand that? You realize that's why you can have this relationship with him, have a relationship with him. You are what you are by the grace of God. Down to verse 8 again. For by grace I have been saved through faith, and this is not my own doing, it's a gift of God. Whatever you do, find your passion and find your way to say it and live it. Uh, no one had a more single-minded vision of life than the Apostle Paul. And he could say it in different ways. In Acts 20, he says this, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life as dear to myself, not even life, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The one thing mattered, finished my course, finished my course, run the race, be true to this great God. And then in Philippians, he almost says the same thing. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order to gain Christ. How can I be used of God in this moment? How can I be used of God in this moment, this season of my life? and what I'm going through, where God has me, to awaken a single passion to realize the greatness of God, the greatness of God, and the immensity of his love that he has for us. But God, but God. The scriptures tell us that God's love has been poured out into our hearts, not just met it poured out into our hearts, and God's love is not just a, a sentimental feeling that comes and goes. It's a strong, strong, transforming love. It's an abiding love. It's a lingering love. It's a love that's spawned in grace and anchored in the cross. Anchored in the cross. When you experience his love, it just explodes in your heart. It explodes in your life, and you're never the same. You are never Never the same. The Bible says that's what counts. That's what counts. 
meeting Jesus, knowing Jesus, knowing his love, what counts as a new creation. Paul says, everything else, just details. Just details. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the scriptures as we, we see them and they open up these truths to us. What we've been rescued from, from impotence and decay to new life in Christ. And we come to celebrate that today. We celebrate it through this communion of sharing that he went to the cross and died for us, that we might have life. And so we think on these things. We think of, of faith, and we think of grace, of his love, and the cross of Jesus. And we pray, Father, that it speaks to each heart here today as we share in this most holy communion. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.